Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Trish, your bartender. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender. And today we are doing the Sherry Murders. Mm-hmm. I have not heard of this. Uh, Sloan tells me it takes place in Biloxi, which at the time of recording this, we are going there this uh, coming weekend. So why not learn about some true crime? It's a surprise for one of our friends' birthdays, and we can confidently record this because this is coming out <laughs> after <laughs> after we will already have gone. And I am that friend that cannot keep a secret, so I have done a phenomenal job keeping my mouth shut Ooh. thus far. There was one day that we were talking about it at the bar. Trish wasn't there, but we like the rest of us were at our mutual workplace. And um, he was like, I just want to know what we're doing. And I was like, I can't wait to spend the day at Bucky's. Aw, oh, shit. I gave it away. Damn. She was telling Just me about Just don't this. tell him about the lap dance from the beaver. <laughs> shit. I gave that away, too. I was like, oh, the beaver. No, I'm just Bucky. saying. I'm just saying that I would not be disappointed to spend an hour or two of my birthday at Bucky's. <laughs> Personally. But alas, we are going to Biloxi, which if you don't know... Where that is, is in Mississippi, and around here, it is the big, like, gambling place, so. It's full of casinos, and that's what they've always been known for. So, yes. We'll get into that. I'm excited, and without, I guess, further ado, let's jump into it. Welcome back to another round of drinks, and I know it's just now, September, when this is coming out. It's August as we're recording, but um, you're listening to two spooky bitches who would have Halloween all year round. And where I work, and probably where you've been out and about, you've seen that um, spooky season is upon us, which means... Fall drinks and pumpkin beers and all that have started to emerge. And there is one drink that I got to try at work and I love it. And it's a beer. It is from Southern Tier Brewing Company and it is called Pumpkin. They also have one called Warlock. I haven't gotten to try it yet. It's a stout, which... I'm eventually going to have to try it, but I just haven't gotten a chance to. But the Pumpkin has an ABV of 8.6%. It's technically a um, imperial ale, which is why it's so high in like alcohol volume. It's kind of like a deep copper color, and it like aroma is supposed to smell like pumpkin pump like pie spices buttery crust vanilla roasted pecans and the flavor profile that they say is 
malty sweetness, vanilla, clove, allspice, cinnamon, nutmeg, pie crust. And I definitely agree with that because when I tasted it, I was like, this is like a fucking pumpkin pie in my mouth. And I am so here for it. What I liked about it also was that it wasn't like, I was like, ugh, it's an ale. I usually hate ales because they get that hoppy taste. It really wasn't that, like, bitter. And it, like I said, is one I'm currently, like, kind of in love with. And I'm <laughs> all here for RA starting the spooky season. I have definitely RA decorated. Sloan's RA decorated. Yep. I'm still looking to add on to my decorations. So, yeah. And my roommate also said I don't have to uh, take it down, so it's about to be spooky season almost all year long, because we do have to take a break for Christmas. Yes. But after that, you best believe I will probably have my uh, Halloween decorations back up. The good ones, at least. Oh, yeah. But definitely, if this beer is something you can get around you. Again, it's made by Southern Tier Brewing. Uh, I'm not quite sure where it's out of. I can't remember. But Pumpkin, they come out with it every year. And like most beers, it does kind of vary on the flavors. Just because you're always trying to improve. And sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. But... They say it's available from August to October. So it is definitely available now if you can get it by you. I definitely recommend trying it out. And let me know what you think of it. On a mid-September evening in 1987, Judge Vincent Sherry and his wife of almost 40 years, Margaret, were spending a quiet evening at home in Biloxi, Mississippi, when they were attacked. Vincent was attacked first, having a 22 caliber Ruger automatic shoved in his mouth and fired. Then the attacker, or attackers, opened the door to the couple's bedroom and shot Margaret four times in the head. She was found slumped down in a sitting position, legs straight out in front of her, feet under her dresser, her back against the bed, hands cupped at her sides, still holding one earring, like she was getting ready to go out for dinner. Okay. Who would do such a thing to such a respectable couple? A judge and a mayoral candidate? The motive for the killings remains unclear. Was the judge set up by his law partner? Was he killed for accepting a bribe to spring an inmate from prison but didn't go through with it? Was Margaret, Margaret actually the tar target? That was a tongue twister there. <laughs> was Margaret, Margaret actually the target? A tireless crusader against Biloxi Smut King and Dixie Mafia member Mike Gillick Margaret had spoken obsessively about an FBI investigation into Mike's cozy relationship with city officials. But was her own husband one of those officials? Was she killed because she knew too much? Because she was giving information to the feds? I'm getting ahead of myself, as per usual. So, let's go back and cover some basics here. First, we kind of talked about Biloxi a little bit already, but Biloxi has always been a wide-open town, especially along the Strip which is a narrow band of sleazy nightclubs and casinos that line the Gulf Coast, where prostitution, drugs, and crooked <laughs> gambling still flourish today. Ooh. We're just creating a great place, like a great image here. 
I'm just saying that as somebody... I will say that it's very cruel that you'll go and, like, all the casinos in that are, like, on the water because that used to be, the like, the rule. They had to, like, be on the water. In Mississippi, I think it is still the law because the, all of the they casinos... Like, yeah, they used to make it that you had to, like, have them on boats so they would go out for a certain time yeah. and then come back, but they made it that as long as they were built on the water, mm-hmm. it's legal. But... When you go, you're like, oh, this is beautiful. Look at the water. I can get in the water. No. Do not no. get in the water. It is there not. There are signs everywhere. You can just drive and go to Alabama's coast. It's prettier. Yeah. Except <laughs> not Dolphin Island. Don't do that. There are signs everywhere being like, do not get in the water. There's like fleshing bacteria in the water there. You don't, you don't want to go in the water. You can go in the pools. I you remember. You to go in the pools. I remember as a kid, like, when I lived with my dad for the summers, we lived fairly close to Biloxi, so we would have beach days there, and I was always so disappointed, because if I was with my mom, we would go and stay the week in Alabama and go to the prettier beaches, and whenever my dad was like, let's go to the beach, it was always Biloxi's beach, and I'm like, this is a swamp, (laughs) I'm in Shrek home. Even well, as a kid, <laughs> even as a kid, I had high standards for my beach experiences. Because we're mermaids at art. Absolutely. All right, but anyways, like I was saying, full of prostitution, drugs, and crooked gambling, seemingly immune to a police intervention and periodic cleanups. In fact, in the 1950s, police officers' uniforms and patrol cars were paid for by profit skimmed from illegal gambling activities. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go Mississippi. <laughs> Another little, like, thing to address real quick is at the time, there was the Dixie Mafia. And I had literally never heard of this until this case. As somebody born and raised in Mississippi, I had never heard of the Dixie Mafia. Yeah. Um. So the Dixie Mafia is a loosely knit group of traveling criminals performing residential burglary, burglary, robbery, and theft based in what was called the Strip, a string of seedy bars, strip joints, and gambling parlors that flourished along the Mississippi's Gulf Coast from the 1960s to the 1980s. In the 1980s, a lot of the main people in the Dixie Mafia were actually put away in prison. So it was kind of the end of an era, era, not error. Should have been the end of an error, but it was not. And that is a little backstory on the Dixie Mafia because they do come into play later on. Um, and then who are the Sherrys? Vincent Sherry was a former criminal defense attorney before he became a judge in 1986. Before that, he was Colonel Vincent Sherry, an Air Force lawyer. And he had planned to retire to Kentucky, but Margaret voted for Biloxi and won. Away from the Strip, the town itself was everything that she wanted. Small, with around 45,000 people in the population, a southern town and on the ocean, which she loved. And the couple and their four children made the move to Biloxi. So once they moved to Biloxi, that's whenever... Vincent started practicing criminal defense law, and he became partners with Pete Hallett. That's how I'm going to say it. And in 1986, like I said, he became a judge for Biloxi. 
Pete was known for defending members of the Dixie Mafia. But as a judge, Vincent was putting those same criminals away. So it's kind of like a question of, was Vincent participating while his law partner was participating? Could he have also kept participating once he was a judge and just pulling little side deals for his law partner? Yeah. Pete was definitely a part of the problem in Biloxi and even went on to be elected as mayor of the city in 1989, but lost the re-election bid in 1993, probably for the best of the city. (laughs) Margaret Sherry was a fiery conservative Republican who grew more and more upset by the waves of corruption over City Hall. She plunged into local politics and was elected to the city council before running for Biloxi's mayoral position against the current Democratic mayor, Margaret wanted to clean up the Biloxi Strip of seedy nightclubs and gambling, a.k.a. the Dixie Mafia stomping grounds, and she also wanted to expose corruption in City Hall. So once again, could this be a reason for the murders? So going back a little bit in time, not too far, in 1983, the federal authorities came into Biloxi, Harrison County, and completely, like, redid the sheriff's office because they came in, noticed all of the corruption, and they were like, this is not okay. Y'all are supposed to be running this town, following the law, and yet you're the ones out here promoting corruption. Yeah. Special Agent Keith Bell, who was born and raised in the area, is quoted as saying it was out of control. They were doing anything and everything illegal down here. For money, the sheriff and officers loyal to him would release prisoners from the county jail, safeguard drug shipments, and hide fugitives. Anything you can think of, they were involved in. Great. Keith is quick to point out that there were plenty of honest officers on the force at the same time, and some would later help the FBI put an end to the culture of corruption in Biloxi. But for a long time, Sheriff Leroy Hobbs and his Dixie Mafia associates led the way. I just love whenever we have a Leroy. (laughs) It's a true Southern name. By 1987, Margaret was confiding to close friends that she had been been working in secret with the FBI and that her work was about to pay off. There was real evidence of corruption in the mayor's office, and Margaret held a lot of the proof, which many believe is reason enough for the murders. On the night of the murders, authorities contacted the Sherry's closest living relative, their daughter, Lynn Spacito. Lynn, a middle-aged nurse and mother of three, moved to Riley, North Carolina shortly before this horrific crime. When she learned of the fate of her parents, she began dedicating her life to finding out the truth surrounding their deaths. She pushed, prodded, cajoled, cajoled? I always try to sound so smart on here and then I sound like a dumbass. (laughs) And publicly denounced the law enforcement officials. When the Biloxi police failed, Lynn hired a private detective. Lynn and the detective pieced together a vast web of intrigue that led them to Kirksey McCord Nix, a brilliant con man serving life without parole in a Louisiana prison. And so to lay a little bit more groundwork here, the Dixie Mafia inmates at the Louisiana State Penitentiary were behind a scam that brought in hundreds of thousands of dollars. Ringleader Kirksey Nix, a convicted murderer, serving a life sentence without parole, believed that if he raised enough money, that he could buy his way out of jail. Here's how the scam worked. 
Inmates paid guards to use prison telephones. Then they placed bogus ads in homosexual publications claiming they were gay and looking for a new partner to move in with. The men who replied to the return post office box address got additional correspondence and racy pictures. But there was a catch. The scammers told their victims a variety of lies about why they needed money before they could leave where they were. A lot of the money came flowing in, but there were hundreds of victims, said Agent Bell. Men from all walks of life, professors, mail carriers, politicians, fell victim to this scam. One guy in Kansas mortgaged his house and sent $30,000 to the scammers over a period of months. To add insult to injury, some of the inmates writing letters eventually confessed the scam to their vic- victims and then extorted even more money by threatening to out the men if their demands were not met. Trash. Absolute garbage of human beings. Yes. I w- barely human beings. So... The private investigator was able to determine that this scam was related to her parents' murders. And that was something that not even the local authorities could figure out or wanted to figure out, I guess, would be a better way of looking at it. Yeah. Local authorities worked this case unsuccessfully for two years before the FBI opened an investigation in 1989. Agent Bell was assisted in the investigation by Captain Randy Cook of the revamped sheriff's office. The previous sheriff, Leroy Hobbs, was convicted on racketeering and drug conspiracy charges in 1984 and sentenced to 20 years in prison. So a little side story about Leroy is after he was released from prison, he kept a very low profile until he announced he was running for sheriff again in 2007. How can you run for that, like, a position if you have a felony charge? Yeah, that's, um, interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. Word it however you want to. Uh, interesting is the nicest way that I could put that. The federal investigation into the Sherry murders lasted in total eight years before it would come to an end. But there is a little pit stop along the way because in 1991, only two years into that investigation, four people were convicted of conspiracy that included attempting to hire a killer to murder Vincent Sherry. Although a federal judge ruled that the conspiracy directly led to the murders of both Vincent and Margaret Sherry, the question of who actually did the killings, who else might be involved, and why it happened happened remained unanswered at the time. Pete, who was unnamed by the U.S. Attorney's Office as an unindicted co-conspirator, has never been charged with a crime at this point. He adamantly denies any wrongdoing, and his courtroom testimony was supported by the people who were charged with this conspiracy. But all of that was not enough to keep him from getting charged on October 23, 1996, when when Pete was indicted on federal charges related to his involvement in the 1987 murders. At the time, the FBI believed that the two were killed on Pete's orders after he thought that Judge Sherry was stealing from a bank account Pete kept for an imprisoned client, which held the funds from Nix's Lonely Hearts dating scam. As it turns out, Vincent Sherry never stole the money from Nix's dating scam and that it was in fact Pete himself who had stolen upwards of $100,000 and needed somebody to blame. 
So when Nix was enraged over noticing the amount of money missing and arranged for Pete to visit him in prison to demand an explanation, Pete quickly blamed Judge Sherry for the theft, and the two quietly agreed to have the judge and his wife murdered. Shortly after, Nix ordered the deaths of Sherry's and the Dixia Mafia's leader on the street, Mike Gullick hired a hitman from Texas named Thomas Holcomb to commit the two murders. Thomas Leslie Holcomb was given the handgun with a homemade silencer, which he used in the killings by Kirksey Nix's girlfriend, Sherry LaRa Sharp, who in turn had received the gun from an enforcer from the Dixie Mafia named John Ransom. John Ransom told Sherry to give the gun to Thomas for the hit on the Sherry's. I got a little confusing there, but girlfriend Sherry gave the gun to have the couple Sherry murdered. Yeah. In the final trial in 1997, Pete Halott was sentenced to 18 years in prison on conspiracy to commit racketeering, obstruction of justice, conspiracy to obstruct justice, and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. The U.S. Supreme Court denied Pete's appeal in 2000. He was released in 2013 after 15 years, 9 months, and 7 days in jail at 70 years old. He was released to a halfway house, and he began working at a church in Hattiesburg until his retirement. Kirksey Nix, as well as Thomas Holcomb, received life, life sentences. Nix is currently serving a life imprisonment in the Federal Correctional Institution at El Reno, Oklahoma, and Thomas Leslie Holcomb died in prison in 2005. Mike Gillick was convicted in 1991 on a federal conspiracy charge. He was released from prison in July of 2000 after serving nine years of his 20-year sentence. And he passed away of cancer in 2012. <sighs> John Ransom and Sherry Lavra Sharp were both convicted in 1991 in the first round of trials, on federal conspiracy charges related to the two murders, Ransom was the one who supplied the gun. Uh, Ransom was the one who supplied the gun used in the murders. He served a sentence from 1991 to 2003, a 10-year sentence in federal prison for his role in these murders, and a two-year uh, state prison sentence on an unrelated manslaughter charge. So clearly, like, yeah, great people here. As a result of the cases, as a result of the murders, Gulf Coast citizens started demanding more professional law enforcement and better government. I would freaking hope so. <laughs> agent Bell, who wanted to be an FBI agent since he was a child, said, It meant a lot to me to return to my home and do something about the corruption that had worked its way into the government and law enforcement there. The majority of citizens realized that the FBI that if the FBI had not stepped in, the lawlessness and corruption would likely have continued unabated. And that is the story of the Sherry's. And I feel like the biggest lesson that we can learn here is one, to not let history repeat itself. And the best way to do that is by two, getting out there and voting. Yes. And if you have people that are running unopposed, run. Run. The people in our Congress right now, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. We can't fuck this shit up any more than they've already fucked it up. So, I'm just saying. <laughs> At this point, I'm thinking of running for president because 
margaritas for everybody on Mondays. <laughs> Vote for Sloan. Oh, gosh. Bam. No, but in all seriousness, like, not that this all could have been avoided, but also as citizens, we are able to speak with our votes. And a lot of the time, it's really easy to feel like my vote doesn't count. It's just one vote. But in the rea- like in reality of it all, your vote does add up. Because if all of us that feel that way, that our vote is just one vote, goes out and votes, then we show that our votes add up and say what we want them to say. Yeah. So, if you're not registered to vote, get your ass out there and register. We got a lot of country to save right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll kick you off to the last call. Welcome back to another last call. And today I'm going to be talking about Mountain Dew. No, oh, Nate. <laughs> so I think you told me and then started popping up on TikTok that like. Because they're listening. Mountain Dew Everybody was claiming that Mountain Dew was developed for, like, whiskey or bourbon. Mm -hmm. Well, I found a 10 things you didn't know about Mountain Dew. And the very first fact that pops up actually does not say that. Okay. It says that Mountain Dew was created to be a moonshine mixer. I mean, that makes sense because... Moonshine was also called Mountain Lightning. Yeah. Um, it says, Barney and Allie Hartman were bottle developers in Tennessee who were tired of people complaining that um, there weren't any good mixers for moonshine on the market, so they got to work. So. The moonshines we get are usually, like, the cream ones, or they're the ones that we like on, like, our own. But yeah. I guess I <laughs> guess we need to start smuggling some uh, Mountain Dew into uh. <laughs> places to try these moonshines. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Still don't know if some of these can be saved by Mountain Dew. <laughs> um, number nine, the name has interesting roots. Mountain Dew was a popular phrase used by Scottish and Irish immigrants to Appalachia to describe moonshine. The Hartman brothers received the suggestion with open arms, and in the 1940s, the trademark was born. Number eight, when Pepsi Company bought the company... It, or PepsiCo, I guess, is what they say. PepsiCo bought the company. It became something much, like, different. We tend to associate the brand with teenagers, and that is due in large part to the fact that when PepsiCo bought Mountain Dew in 1964, they switched directions entirely and started marketing it towards younger, outdoorsy generation. Which I definitely drank so much Mountain Dew, like, when I was in middle school and that, to now, like, I really can't stand it. (laughs) That's kind of how I am with Coke. It's just so funny, because, like, 
Nate literally drinks, I don't even know how many Mountain Dews a day. And I'm just always like. I can tell you that we go through like two, at least two 24 packs a week. (laughs) At least. And I'm just like, oh, now give me Pepsi any day. I will be so happy. I was, sometimes I start to say something and then I think about like how much Uno Moss I go through a week. And I'm like, well. Yeah. Well. Uh, Number seven. The Hartman Brothers wouldn't recognize the flavor today. The original Hartman Brothers recipe was originally closer to what we know as Sprite today. But in the 1960s, Bill Bridgeforth changed that? I don't know what it is about Sprite, but Sprite's my shit. Yeah. Um, as the manager of the plant, he decided to start putting his own Tri-City Lemonade in Mountain Dew bottles, which caused sales to take off. There is orange juice in Mountain Dew, is number six. Going with the citrus lemonade idea, Mountain Dew went all in. On the back of the bottle or can, you'll find that concentrated orange juice, high fructose corn syrup, and and carbonated all three key ingredients. I'm like, what? (laughs) Maybe that's why Nate likes it so much. He does love him some orange juice. He does. Uh, The number five, the original slogan played off its its moonshine heritage. The first slogan for the soda was Yahoo Mountain Dew. It'll, Yahoo. Yeah, it's like Yahoo Mountain Dew. It'll it'll tickle your innards, which yeah, that that definitely sounds like some backwoods like Appalachian <laughs> slogan ideas there. Um, it says yeah, so it was like that slogan as a barefooted mountain man yelled on the commercial. Sure, sure as shooting, there's a bang in every bottle. I'm just picturing like a West Virginia. <laughs> I'm so sorry if you're from West Virginia listening to this, but you you have to admit you got some backwoods people there. Yeah, not that we can really talk here in the south, nope, but we're in Alabama. Um, uh, number four, only four non coffee drinks have more caffeine than a can of Mountain Dew. One 12-ounce can of Mountain Dew clocks in at 55 milligrams of caffeine, while only Red Bull, which has 80 milligrams, Jolt, which has 71.2, and Pepsi One, which is 55.5, have more caffeine in one 12-ounce serving. Number three, does it taste good because there's flame retardant in it? (laughs) Oh my god, I have heard that before. Well, there is a flame retardant, but that's not why it tastes good. The Food and Drug Administration allows up to 15 parts per million of BVO or brominated vegetable oil. In fruit-flavored beverages, BVO was first 
patented as a flame retardant for plastics. So there you go. There's no actual like I'm like what what like I don't know what people are thinking like are they thinking like because it's a flame retardant which means it wouldn't light right? Mm -hmm. Yeah I don't know. Number two Mountain Dew mouth is a real thing. In eastern Kentucky, PepsiCo reached out to dentists to help try and stop tooth decay in children. The dentists, basically, they called the problem Mountain Dew Mouth, mostly because the soda is loaded with sugar, and we love it anyways. Yeah, that could explain a lot of, like, my teeth problems now. Yep. Considering how much I drank in middle school. I was obsessed with, like, the Code Red one. Oh, that was my favorite, too. I loved the Code Red. And the last little fact is it was supposed to be even more caffeinated. When it was being bottled, PepsiCo producers noticed that there was so much caffeine, it was crystallizing in the glass to form what looked like, like slivers of ice. They decided that they needed to decrease the caffeine, partly to prevent the bottles from bursting. Uh, I was like, what? Oh, there's a little bonus thing. Apparently, uh, Mountain Dew works wonders against hot chills. Kind of. Uh, channel the roots of Mountain Dew and pair it with our Green Apple Jolly Rancher Moonshine. What? Sorry, there's like little things that they just like throw in, but there's no like context. <laughs> but I was just like, what? I was like, oh, we've been seeing this thing. We've been talking about how, oh, I guess we need to try some Mountain Dew and, like, bourbon. Yeah. But then I looked it up and it said that it was actually made for moonshine. And I'm like, well, it's too bad we don't have, like, a moonshine that we own that we're like, ugh, how am I going to get rid of this? Yeah. Because we're smart and we go to the free tasting so we don't buy the stuff we don't like. <laughs> I wonder how it would be with the pickle moonshine. I'll let you try that. <laughs> I would try it. I would try it. Uh, I'll let you try that. And then, you know, we just pass the open can <laughs> off to Nate. <laughs> I was just going to go get a splash from his can. <laughs> from the open active can. But those are my facts about <laughs> Mountain Dew. Um... If you've heard any other ones, or you know some other ones, I guess let us know. Um, if you enjoy these, like, little random facts about uh, your different mixers or alcohols, you know, definitely send them our way. Because as much as we love these little last calls to add some uh, relief to our stories, sometimes it, it gets hard to find things. Sometimes I just keep finding, like, the same things yeah. that we've already done. So, definitely, if y'all see any, like, interesting news stories or, like, um, what are these called? Listicles or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Just send them our way. We'd appreciate it. You can send those to tequilasherote at gmail.com. You can also find us on our social medias. We have Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. They're all tequilasherote across the board. 
We also have our Patreon set up for as little as $2 a month. You can get ad-free episodes and you get bonus episodes. And then if you sign up for some of the other tiers, you'll get some more bonus content. There's also some merch over there. Easiest way to find us is by going to patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote. Or you can go to any of our socials and find our link tree. When you go there, and they'll have a direct link to it. If you do have any problems, reach out. We'll try to help direct you the best we can. And thanks for riding on the Hot Mess Express today. Toot toot. Beep beep. Beep. <laughs>